Praise the Lord. We just thank God. Thank God for those who are, have just logged in and listening by internet radio and your podcast. We thank you. I'm Dr. McCune. I'm here in St. Martin's. We praise God. Thank God for listening family around the world, countries throughout the world. We thank you. I thank God for the saints there in my home country, the United States. Praise God for how he is moving here in St. Martin's. Something happened today that is just a blessing. As always, when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel message, God goes ahead of us and he opens doors. And since I've been here in St. Martin, so many doors have been opening whereby thousands of people can hear the gospel. It happened on Sunday at this church and it happened today. I thank God for that. I had the opportunity once again to say to the people of St. Martin, this beautiful nation, through a ministry called Maranatha Radio, and the host of that program, Sister Sandra, she is here with us tonight, and thank God for her. She has an anointed, certainly, ministry. She has chosen to surrender her life to Christ so the gospel can go forth. And I I was so happy. I've done this. God has opened this door for me in so many countries. A lot of first time things are happening here in St. Martin's. For the first time, the host of the show said to me, However the Lord is leading you, you just share whatever is on your heart. Normally, you know, if you're in other, when you're doing it, you're responding to questions. And, you, and that's fine. That's fine. And what a blessing that she was led by the Lord to just open up this station like that and have that confidence that it will be well. So I want all my friends that are listening around the world, and especially for those in the United States, please, I, I encourage Sister Sandra to come. And if you can come now and just share with us how you felt the Holy Spirit move this morning, the testimony of that. And also share with us about the very heartbeat of Maranatha Radio, your, your ministry there, and God calling in your life. What is happening in St. Martin's through that Christian radio station?
Hallelujah. Again, it's a privilege. I consider it as an honor, a blessing, and answers or confirmation to God's word spoken over my life. To be here tonight among my own people and the man of God, I see it as a blessing and confirmation to words spoken over my life in the past. It was a privilege for me to have Dr. Kelvin with us today on Ready Maranatha. When I came here on Monday night and listening how you were teaching, I couldn't leave you just passed by without the whole nation and nations hearing from you. So I was felt led to do that and I asked Apostle if he could come with you on the program and he was so excited himself. And one thing I love Apostle for, he always tells me yes. Uh, where is he? Where is Apostle? Oh, okay. He always tells me yes, and I appreciate him very much. For the past years, he's been really a blessing to my life, and I thank God for him. I see him as a great man of God in my life, and I trust him. I trust him. So it was just, um, I would say, it was a great moment this morning. Because what I felt on Monday night, it happened today. And this is why I started, as he was saying, he was expecting me to ask questions and for him to answer. And I did start it that way, as I normally do, do with my guests. But a part of the program, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, release him. Release him. So I had to do it. I had to obey. I, I just couldn't do my own thing. And this is one of the things I am careful not to do when I come on Radio Maranatha to do my own thing. However, the spirit leads and he says, do this, do that, I do it. Sometimes you will hear me play a song over and over. And you may be saying, why, but why is she playing that song? And I do repeat, there is somebody, the spirit of the Lord is touching with that song. And he's not, the spirit of God is not done with you until you release me. That's when I know he's done with you. And I'm getting testimonies over and over. People are meeting me. They're asking for my numbers. Woman of God. It was the Holy Spirit indeed talking to you because this is what I was going through. And that particular song touched me. I got breakthrough. I saw answers. I received freedom. I got liberated. I, I saw things change as you began playing the song over and over. And that's what happened today. I, and I wanted to ask you a lot of questions. There were a lot of questions I wanted to ask. But I had to obey the Holy Spirit of God. And I know people's lives were blessed. And it's because there were lives waiting on the word of God from you. That's why the Spirit of God instructed me to release you. And I know people were blessed. Even when my manager came in, um, Brother Milan, he said I was, I was very impressed. I was very touched by what was happening in the program this morning. So even my manager was satisfied with how the program went and what the words he heard from you. Um, a little about what is happening in Radio Maranatha. Um, the media is a great tool, it's an important tool in this season. And I only recognized it fully when I began the program Wind of Change on the radio. And I, I remember sometime last year, a gentleman called me 
and said, don't put me on the air, I want to be off the air. And I did put him off the air and he said, Sister Sandra, I am not a church goer, I do not go to church. And every time I talk about it, it gets me emotional. I do not go to church, but since you started the program in January of last year, and he was speaking to me last year, I found myself drawing to God. And I'm getting closer and closer and closer to God. I am changing. And he said, I am praying for you that God would never take you out from the radio. This is a strong statement. This is a strong statement. And I was very moved by that. And I say, if that's the only person I have to stay on Radio Maranatha for, to see change and to see God's plan accomplished in his life, I will stay there and do it. And this is what it means to me on Maranatha. I give God thanks for Maranatha and all the different ministers that come there. It is a great that we have Sister Norin who hosts a program on Friday afternoons and who else there? Nobody else there? So she's one of them who is ministering on Radio Maranatha and we thank God for what is the reports that we are getting overseas and to your great um, for your information of to let you know that because I have a friend from India Radio Maranatha is all the way in India we have ministers that come on the radio and they tell us Africa and all these places are getting Radio Maranatha because as they have people on Facebook and they are linked with people on internet, then when they're on, Maranatha goes beyond our little understanding and our little thinking. So we want to give God thanks for, again, St. Martin is not only known for her bitches and uh, the prosperity and the nice son and the loving people. It is known for her God. St. Martin loves God. And the great things are happening in St. Martin. And I'm thanking God in advance already that people will be taking the place to come in conventions, to come in seminars, in conferences in St. Martin. Because God has a purpose for this land. And Maranatha is part of that and is just doing great. Continue to pray for Maranatha and all the staff and uh, the ministers that come for the different programs that we would obey the plan of God and the voice of God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Sister Sandra, for that testimony. What a blessing. And God gave me this opportunity to say to the people in St. Martin that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And you think of that listening audience, thousands of people. And then to be able to pray with them. And in that prayer, praying that salvation message, how we thank God. God always opens doors for us. Let's continue on tonight with our conference as we go through Ephesians chapter 3. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless us. Father, we thank you. We bless your holy name. 
We come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and thanks, O Holy Spirit. This, your living word, move, bless, anoint. Speak to us, dear God. Reveal the living one. The one whom, who brought salvation to us. The one whom the very center of your word is all about. Christ Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. Thank you, Father. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So we are in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 1, it says, For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now, Paul is referring, he uses this word, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because while he wrote this epistle, he was in prison. So literally, he was a prisoner. And he certainly here would be considering the fact that his imprisonment is, he is considering it as part of the overall part of God's plan and purpose. For him. And then certainly he is making this statement in that he might be in prison, but the one who really controls his life is Christ. Christ is Lord of his life. For you Gentiles, he is saying here that the gospel is going out beyond the, the Jewish community. It is going throughout the world. And later on he will refer to this as a mystery. A great mystery that salvation is for everyone. God called Paul to live for the purpose of taking his gospel message to the world. And God has called all of us to have that same mindset to take the gospel throughout the world. Not all of us will be going from country to country, but that has to be where our heart is at. And we ought to be praying then for those who are going throughout the world. And isn't it wonderful, Sister Sandra, that how God is moving in these end times through this uh, media that his truth is going throughout the world. And we have to use what God has given us. The fact that the Gentiles are now being incorporated in God's plan of redemption, that's revolutionary both to the Jewish community at that time and even to the Gentile world. Because suddenly they are understanding something different. They are understanding that God has provided a way whereby there is a personal relationship with Yahweh regardless of who the individual is, whether Jew or Gentile. It does not matter. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 2, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. What is meant by the word dispensation? It means a time period in which God is displaying His universal grace to all men. This is a grace as revealed through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. That time period. This is a time right now. 
And we can certainly and we should understand the theology and the doctrine of this. That it started in a sense, we can say, at the very birth of Jesus. When Gabriel came to Mary. And then, in a sense, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The birth of the church. The prophet Joel said that this will happen. Pentecost will happen. And our Lord Jesus himself told his disciples that the church will begin. He says the Holy Spirit will come. He said in order for him to come, I have to go. If I don't go, he will not come. So that is telling us that God, when he walked among us, is saying to us, something has to happen in the future. And then he says, this is a promise which the Father made to you. As we would read in John chapter 14, and Christ himself promised that the Holy Spirit would come and do a particular work. Does it mean that the Holy Spirit was silent in the past? Certainly not. Because in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, God, in the beginning God created everything. And then verse 2, and the Spirit of God And then we know in the New Testament it tells us that Christ created everything. All things were created by him and for him and for his purpose. And he is sustaining everything because he is God himself. So this dispensation, this time period will come to an end when God takes his church away from him. And we have clear teaching in God's word to let us know that that will happen. And then you have another time period. In other words, the Holy Spirit will bring to an end his specific ministry, specific work through the church in, pro in the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. So by grace, we have been saved. Remember those, remember those central or foundational verses that we consider? By grace, we have been saved. And then... We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We know that process of salvation is by grace and it is by faith. And no way in the New Testament that is made clear the process of salvation as in the book of Ephesians. And then that we are God's ambassadors. And he is using us to build his church to save people. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But that will come to an end as far as the church goes. And this is the idea of this, the idea of the word here, dispensation. It's a time period in which God is doing something. How should we view this grace of God? It is to be shared with others. It is not a personal privilege or luxury. God grace comes to us and the Holy Spirit he uses us to share this grace the grace of God with others Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 says giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 40 verses 10 says 
As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's for every one of us. God says you did receive this gift of eternal life. And you did so by the grace of God. And he says now I'm going to use you to share it with others. Let me say something here. Sometimes the enemy can make this sharing the gospel message all complicated to us. Don't have to be afraid of it. Don't have to be afraid. What if someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer? What if a particular Bible verse does not come to my mind? That is fine. Here is what we have. We have a real experience with God. We can say to them, to anyone, that I am born again, I'm a child of God. Because by the grace of God, I'm saved. And this is how it happened. And each of us have our individual experience and in, in way in which God did that in our lives. There was a time years ago where scripture verses will come to my mind very quickly. And folks these days, folks ask me questions. I can't remember. I remind them, I said, listen, at my age, I'm not able to remember all of that. But here is it. If you give me your number, and here is my number, and I promise you that I'm going to look this up. Now I can tell you what the Bible says, but I may not remember the exact place where, where it is. But I, if I promise you, and I do follow up, and I said, okay, remember we met, I'm the person you met in such and such a place. On flight, I met someone here. And I have that person email. So I can, I've been forwarding information to that person. And then another, someone else, some, the flight from Washington to Miami, and then Miami to here. Now I did not have my Bible with me, but people asked me questions. And I said, well, the word of God says, there's a certainty in my heart concerning what the word of God says. But I just can't remember exactly where. But that's fine. That is fine. But I have the info. And when I get back, and I relax, and I'm rested, I'm going to look that up. Oh, this is where it is. It's in Isaiah. That's right. It's in Jeremiah. Okay. And then I'll connect with them. I'm the person that you met on flight to St. Martin. And this is the statement I made, and here is the answer from God's word. The point being, don't let all those things, those thoughts, get us scared. Just share our salvation with others. Just let them know that we are born again. And let them know what Jesus did for us. That we have done clear. You may not even be able to remember... Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. May not even be able to remember John 3.16. But we do know that we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior when we came to that full understanding 
that he died for us. So we just express it to them. Let's move right on. And verses, verses 3. How that by the revelation he made known to me the mystery. As I have briefly written already. Verses 4. By which when you read. You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What is this mystery? Paul refers to this as a revelation of God's grace through Christ. It is a mystery. Folks sometimes get all wrapped up and bent over the idea of, well, I'm not sure about the Trinity does not make sense to me. And I say to them, well, I've been saved now for almost 50 years, and even I, I can't understand it. I've never met anyone that can understand it. And it says, why? Because God says it's a mystery. How can we comprehend God? When God tells us that we cannot comprehend Him. How can we comprehend God who made us coming in our form? How can we comprehend God who is all holy coming into a sinful world? How can we comprehend God who looks at us and says, you all have sinned and come short of my glory, but yet I love you. I love you while you were even in your sin. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to suffer and die and I'm going to allow the prince of the world I'm going to allow him to crucify me. I'm going to allow him to bury me. I'm going to surrender to the Father in heaven. Knowing that the Father will turn away from me. Because I am, because God says, I'm paying the price for your sin. A sin that separated you from the Father. But then here's a victory. He rose again the third day. He rose again the third day. The second Adam. First Adam brought condemnation and sin. Second Adam. This mystery. Eternal life. So certainly we cannot. God is transcendent. We can't. He's outside of our thinking or our universe or reasoning. God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. So it's a mystery. But the day will come, however, when we willfully understand it. We understand from scripture that one of the problems we have while we cannot understand it is we are still dealing with the flesh. But a day will come. God says where we will be and then we're dealing with the environment, the worldly environment in which the enemy, the prince of the world is still here. We're dealing with earth that is still corrupt with evil. 
And the earth itself is decaying and crying out. Dealing with an earth that can have hurricanes and volcanoes and, and earthquakes. But a day will come when God will create then a new heavens and, and a new earth. And we will have bodies like known to the angels. And then we'll be able to fully understand the scripture says. Our Lord Christ Jesus. But until then it's a mystery. What a glorious mystery. By God's will. How did he reveal this mystery that is in Christ? Because it was God's will to reveal it to us in his time. In his time. Jesus did not come too soon. Did not come late. At the right time. The right season. In the fullness of time. There was approximately 400 years when, when Malachi was written. Book of Malachi. To the events that took place in Matthew. And during that 400 years time, the message in the book of Malachi is this. That a messenger will come, who is John. And then fulfill, therefore, the messenger is proclaiming the Messiah will come, who is Christ. And God, during that time period, prepared the earth for his coming. God took, he raised up and he put down nations. And he prepared the earth for the coming of his son. We are understanding this mystery by divine grace. It is by this grace of God that we understand who Jesus is. And then this, we are understanding it because God has given the word. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have God's scripture and God is speaking to us through his word. And for the unbeliever, as we once were, we come to understand this because we heard the gospel. Galatians chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12 says, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, did not come from man. For I neither received it from man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. When we go into the world, as we did this morning, Sister Sandra, and we proclaim the gospel message. When we sat there, Pastor Albert, and say to the nation that Jesus is Lord and Savior. What, what happened essentially is this. The Holy Spirit is using us to communicate this revolution, this revelation, this revelation of Jesus Christ in people's lives, in their heart, in their understanding. And then the Holy Spirit uses that word the, about the revealed Christ through the people. He then opens their hearts and he then 
touches them with the faith to receive Christ. And that process is all by grace. Verses 4 says, By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. This epistle, all of the epistles, they went from church to church. The people were reading them publicly. And God wants us to take his word out into the world. He wants us to communicate it to others. Every nation on the planet, every nation, the, the United States, my home country, here in St. Martin, and then we'll be going to Anguilla. Next year I'll be in the Congo, in Rwanda, possibly in Uganda. Every nation has to be seated and then reseated with the word of God. Every nation with this truth, the gospel message. Verses 5 says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Lots of theology in this. So let's go through it. Let's see what God is saying here for us. As we mentioned before, at the right time, God's appointed time, Christ came. God spoke through the prophets of the old, explaining Messiah. Did they fully understand all of it? Certainly not. One of the high priests, one of the priests came to Jesus named Nicodemus. And he says, we know, we know that you are from God. Referring, of course, there were other priests. So he does, he says, we. He says, what we don't know is the question, who are you? That's, that's what he's asking, you see, exactly. So because when we look at the signs that you did, obviously you're from Yahweh, obviously. But who exactly, who, who are you? And that's when Jesus says to him that one needs to be born again. And what he's saying here to him is, there is an understanding, Nicodemus, that can only come when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. This is something that will happen. But he's saying to him, what you have to do is to appreciate and just, just look and see what God is doing. Did, did he understand? Was he familiar with Old Testament theology? Yes. Was he familiar that Messiah will come? Yes. Were they anticipating that? I believe so, certainly. But the Holy Spirit has to open his heart. 
and open his mind to understand this truth. And Jesus says to him, look, you are understanding at one level, but the Holy Spirit has to unfold the mysteries of the word of God. And he says, even that process is not in your hands. And Jesus says, here is, the, here is an illustration of this. The wind will blow and you have no idea where it's coming from and where it's going. So you have to depend fully on God. And then God said to us, when he walked among us, the greatest promise made in his word, the greatest words ever spoken on our planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's a promise. That is, he gave his son for the world. That whosoever believes in him, what a promise, would not perish but have eternal life. And the Jews and the Gentiles, they were wrestling with this, this whosoever believe in him. What is this? Is it really happening? God, yes it is. The, the ultimate act of God's love. That's the mystery. That the Gentiles should be heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ. And look at how it's going to happen. What's the last three words in verse 6? Through the gospel. There is nothing Satan can do to distort or to hinder what Christ has already done. When Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. When he rose again, he rose again. When he ascended into heaven, he ascended into heaven. When all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth, it has been. When he sent his Holy Spirit, the Father sent the Holy Spirit, and Christ began his church, and the Holy Spirit is not going to speak of himself, as the scripture says, but will be a testimony as to who Jesus is. When the Holy Spirit comes in us, at the moment when we hear the gospel message, there is nothing the devil can do to hinder God's Amen. process, what, what, what God is doing. When we are born again, we are born again. We are born again, we are sealed for all eternity. God will never retrieve his Holy Spirit. We'll never have to be like David. Oh dear God, don't take your spirit from me. But here is what the enemy can do. The enemy can distort the gospel. He can make it. He can attack it as happened in the book of Galatians. When folks were trying to add to the gospel. They were saying in order for the Gentiles to be saved. They have to be circumcised and they have to abstain from certain foods. They have to follow practices of the law. And Paul responds to that. Paul says, who has bewitched you? So the enemy can attack the gospel. 
The enemy can even slow down God's child. The enemy can cause a child of God to be in a vicious cycle of one burden after the other. One burden after the other. In and out, in and out for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. The enemy can actually lead God's people, churches, to make Christianity be all about, let's see how we can get out of today's burden. And then next day is another burden. Let's see how we can get out of that. And after a decade, five decades, 50 years, we're coming out of burdens all the time. The enemy can slow down that process. What is he after? Look at verses 6. He knows that, and the enemy knows that in order for someone to be a partaker of the promise in Christ, it has to happen through the gospel. So every time we come in contact with someone that is not a believer, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us by the grace of God and by the grace of God to touch their hearts and to give us those simple words to let them know that Jesus loves them. Never look at the circumstance. Never look at maybe this person might not listen. That's not for us. To decide. God is God. Because we're not depending on ourselves. This will never return void. We don't have to come with sophisticated way, sophisticated language, sophisticated anything. A man might be homeless on the street. We can simply say to him, Jesus loves you. A man might be a multi-millionaire, even a billionaire. He still has to come through Jesus. He still has to. We don't have to be intimidated. Man might boast that he's the most educated man on the planet. He still has to come to Jesus. I remember one man, a medical doctor, said to me for years, he says, I don't believe in God. I said, but nevertheless, God is real. And he said, I read the Bible. And he has. He has. He's a man of integrity. And if no people say, I read the Bible and they really didn't do it. But he did. And I kept praying for him and praying for him year after year after year and sharing that simple gospel message to him. And one day he called me from the state where he was living. He called me. And he said, I am stressed. He's a medical doctor. See, God is in control here. He says, I know I am depressed. He says, I can even write my own prescription. But I don't know what to do with this. That is happening in my life. And I said to him, you know, all these years you have known me. The same answers you know I have back then. Let me share with you that same answer today. That Jesus is your answer. He understands your depression. He understands the very nature, the cause of it. He understands how you're reacting to it. 
And what is happening? Because he loves you. And I shared the gospel with him, as I did over those years. And he said to me, yes, I am ready. He was 90 years old. Before 90 years. He says, I'm ready. What do I need to do? And there, on the phone, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He became a partaker of this. No, at no time, there was any doubt in my, in my mind that here you have a medical doctor and a man who is saying God does not exist. At no time, there was any doubt in my mind that that, that is too great a problem for my Savior Christ Jesus to handle. Because of one fundamental truth. One fundamental truth. And that is simply this. While we all were in sin, Christ died for us. And that's a mystery that I cannot understand. But I certainly am a recipient of that. This man went on for the two years he lived after that, serving Christ in the church. Serve the Lord right to the end. Oh, the power of God. I remember walking up to a man, a lifeguard. This was about, about maybe about 40 years ago, 40, 45 years ago. And this man is of Hindu faith. And I'm speaking with him. I said, it looks like the condition is rough out there today. And he say, yes, it is. And how long have you been a lifeguard? He says, all of his career life. And he's now the senior lifeguard. I said, tell me, what do you think about life after death? And of course I knew. He says, well, I would, um, when I die, I, I believe that, and hopefully I, I'm getting closer to be one with Brahman, so that when I return, I can return in, in a higher form maybe in a more favorable condition where I did not have to be suffering as I'm suffering right now. And then he asked me that same question. What do you think? And I said to him, I am absolutely certain that when I die, I am going to be in the presence of God himself. I boast in Jesus because he made it possible. When I die, I'll be with God. He is Christ Jesus, the true creator, almighty God. The man looked at me and he fell there on the public beach, thousand people. He fell at my feet. He thought that I was a God. I reached down and I took his hands and I says, no, you don't have to worship me at all. Christ died for all of us. This is how we come to him, by faith and share the gospel message with him. Never look at your circumstance. Never look at the other person. Oh, that person 
came out from a tradition of faith? Oh, that person? No. God is greater, mightier than whatever is that person's background. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. That relieves us of all this, these complications that the enemy brings, right? Yes. Those, those are issues that we ought not to carry. Simply put, they're none of our business. If God could reach us, that's how we have to look at it. And we'll find that Paul will express this later on. He certainly can reach everybody else. In other words, one does not have to prime oneself in order to receive God's grace. His grace is His grace. To me, and here is what he says in verses 8, to me who am least, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Are you following this? One of the places Paul says, when I think about sinners in the world, I am the worst sinner. When I think of the saints, I'm the least of the saints. That's how we go out and we evangelize with that theology in our minds. If God can save me, he certainly can save anyone. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. There's a fellowship in this mystery. The unbeliever may not, they're not there yet. But God wants them there. Which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God. Who created all things through Jesus Christ. Here's a glorious work of the Trinity. And it says in the beginning God created. God creating everything through the Son. And yet the scripture makes it very clear. It's not that Jesus, it's not that there are three gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If we're looking for a math formula, it's not one plus one plus one and we end up with three. If anything is one multiplied by one multiplied by one, we still end up with one. Can we understand it? No. Are we experiencing it? Yes. As a reality in our lives. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord to whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. And Paul is saying here, listen, yes, I am in prison, but understand what is happening. This is by the grace of God. So don't become discouraged because God is doing his work. And let's appreciate what he is saying here. He is saying, as you cannot comprehend, none of us can, this mystery of God, don't look for an answer. Don't question God as to why I am in prison. And oftentimes that becomes a stumbling block for us. 
God, why did this happen? I called a friend today ministering in Guatemala and she said she's okay. Has been ministering there for over 30 years. She has the volcano. Many people lost their lives. And there's another explosion again today. You all experienced Irma a year ago. We do not understand everything. It was not meant for us to understand. And Paul is comparing being in prison as the mystery of Christ. What we do know is this. Jesus is Messiah. So how, what does that theology have to do with our life? It means this. Whatever problem you're going through, there are two possibilities. Whatever problem we're going through in life, there, there are only two possibilities. Either we become weighed down by trying to sort out what is happening, or we come to a conclusion, God, I don't have the answer. You certainly, at this time, don't want me to understand it. It may come to clearer to me, but right now, Jesus, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of whatever I'm going through, thank you, Jesus, that you're using me, that somebody could become a partaker of the gospel message. Are we following this? Yes. It's awesome, isn't it? Changes our world. Changes everything. The grace of God. Remember that's one of those central themes, right? Once we grasp this, the theology of grace, fully as we go along and we continue to grow in it, what a blessing. Our theology lets us know about our relationship with God. As we grow to understand our relationship with God, that theology then impacts our relationship with others. So what is this theology of grace that we have been reading about? What is it all about? I saw it today. I saw it today. Have folks, so many people in the United States praying for me, coming to this this country that so on the news, the devastation from the hurricane, seeing how God, as Pastor Albert shared, how we supernaturally led. It was not the only time that God used me concerning disasters. He used me with Katrina in the United States and other things that happened, storms and the on the East Coast in New Jersey, connected me with saints, pastors. Those pastors, I, I've never met them. But it doesn't matter. So if we make ourselves available and we say, God use us. Yes. Coming to see what God has done and being here. So here is this theology of grace. Are you with me? And get the theology of grace down right. 
Theology of Grace says, while I was yet in sin, Christ reached me. I have no reason to ever boast that I am better than any saint. As Paul says, I'm the least of all the saints. Because my, my understanding stays within the theology of that grace. Remember last night we talked about we are embracing at all times the gift and the giver. So today, God opened the doors. And I'm sitting there at the Maranatha radio station and Sister Sandra asked Pastor Albert to, to comment. And she asked both of us to share what is on our heart concerning giving. So she asked him to comment, say something about giving, the folks supporting the ministry. In the United States, we have similar radio stations where many a times the saints are encouraged to support. That's how those ministries are sustained. His first and his immediate answer was this. And he is speaking to all of the believers, and of course unbelievers to everyone. He's made it very clear. He says, giving is by the grace of God. Now what do you think just happened there? He has his theology of grace right. See? He has his theology of grace right. It's by grace I'm saved. I have no reason to boast about anything. And if there is any good in my life, it is by the grace of, by the grace of God. Now, he, now that theology with God, when it's right, it, it's, it, it, it will now influence his relationship with others. And this is the answer. So he's saying to everyone, just like salvation, the fact that you are able to give, it's not a privilege. It's not a favor you're doing God. It is by the grace of God. That is what he just lovingly and kindly said to everyone. It's like, for example, in a church. This is why when we have someone within the assembly whom the enemy established some type of stronghold and they wander away from the family and they might even be in a backslidden state and the spirit leads us to reach out and to love them. This is why we experience God's grace tells us, telling us and we don't ever condemn them. This is why we reach out. And the world looks at that and the world is amazed. The world can't understand it. Matter of fact, the Bible makes it very clear. Our greatest apologetic that we are God's children. God says it is by your love for each other. God says by your love for each other, the world will know that you are my disciples. That you world will know that you are my children. Isn't that a blessing? Why? Why is it we as Christians are able to reach out to the child of God, the brother or sister that has wandered away because we have a proper theology of grace and we're able to relate to them. We're able to say to them, listen, there is no condemnation from me. There is no condemnation from anyone in the assembly. 
If you're thinking that way, that's a lie of the devil. Every sin is a lie. It's a lie that Satan puts just as he did with, with Eve. Every sin starts with a lie. That's why we're able to reach out and say to them, no, you may be thinking we're condemning you. No, we're not. We love you. We're praying for you. No one is thinking that we can judge you or anything. No. What is happening there? Our theology of grace is now working itself into, the, into practical life. Are we following this? All right. Any questions on this? Any questions? Clay on that, right? Then there is the theology of suffering. Theology of suffering. That's a tough one, isn't it? When we get the theology of suffering, what was Paul's perspective of theology of suffering? He says, look, since, since I am owned by God, since I am Christ's prisoner, he owns me. He is my Lord. That theology is right. And that will now impact the way I pray and look at my condition right now that I am in prison. Are we following that? Yes. So when we go through suffering, we're thinking or thoughts of God, you owe me. You are the author of my life. So in the midst of whatever I'm going through, Father, in your word, it's made clear, or even when we, if we're praying for someone, the word of God says, who is to know the extent of God's mercy? So we always pray for God's blessings in someone's life. We always pray for God's healing. And then after we pray, we know that God, God is in control of everything. And we don't question him. And we know he is working something greater out for his glory. Our theology influences our relationship with God. Will then influence our, the dynamic of our relationship with others. And then of course... We consider the theology of the mystery. We spend a good bit of time on that, right? We say to others, this is the truth. This is what the word of God says. You may not fully understand it, but this is the truth. So let me tell you. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to do that work in their lives. Verses 14. For this reason I bow my knees and here Paul is about to pray. When will he end this prayer? Look at, the, look at the passage. Verses 14 and then verses 21. What's the last word? In verses 21. What's the very last word? Amen. That's when this prayer comes to an end. Right? Unlike the prayer in chapter, in chapter 1 that I often wonder if it went into chapter 2. But here there is a clear ending. Because he starts off by saying, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord. Then he concludes, Amen. To him be glory, the church, by Jesus Christ, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's when the prayer ends. Alright? So let's see within context 
how the Holy Ghost is leading Paul to pray. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See how he is appropriating and he is recognizing the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he's recognizing something here. Paul is saying, and this is important, we'll, we'll come to this a little bit, a little bit later, later on, but I want, you, want us to focus on it here. For this reason, the whole family will, in heaven and on earth, all of the saints, all of the Old Testament saints, all of our saints, all of our families that have gone on, our loved ones, my mom, my dad, my brothers, and they're in heaven. And even Paul himself, and we who are here. For whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We belong to Jesus. That's who we are. That he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. When we pray for others, the Spirit wants us to pray this way. Oh dear God, to pray for even for ourselves. Oh Holy Spirit, fill us and allow us, Lord, to be strengthened with might through your presence, Holy Spirit, in the inner person. You say, Father, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See what is happening here? By faith, we're saved but by the grace of God through faith. And faith we continue to experience this Christian life. This filling of the Holy Spirit by faith. But that faith, the ongoing sanctifying faith, let's not confuse that word sanctification. There is sanctification as referred to certainly as salvation and then the ongoing growth process of sanctification. Just as the first the first experience with God being born again, salvatic faith comes by understanding the gospel message. We continue to grow in faith as we spend time in the Word of God. I shared with you last night concerning where after being saved, I certainly did not recognize that I had a need in me to grow in faith. But then God revealed that and continued that process. And even now we are always growing in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The child of God that is struggling, a brother or sister struggling in, in some area in their lives, the best prayer and the best encouragement we can give them is this. We say to them, when was the last time you came to church? We say, I haven't been there for a month. And we know that that's why they're struggling. Sometimes you may even have to say to them, all right, whatever is going on in your heart, here's what I'll do. I'm going to come to your house and spend an hour every day. Is that okay? And we sit with them. And we're giving them the word of God, giving them the word of God. So the Holy Spirit is once again working his truth in their hearts. And God will, God will bring them back. But they have to hear the word of God. You have to reach out and really embrace them and help them through that process. Yes, we encourage them to come. God says, don't forsake yourself assembling together. But we should never, 
And thank God we never do this. We never say to them, look, now that you're saved, now that you're in the church, you know better than that, so you're, in, you're on your own. No. No. That's not how it works. God says what we do is that we say, if one hurt, we all hurt. Right? And then the Holy Spirit fills us to reach out and to, to minister. Of all this teaching and, and the books and the conference and the travel and all those things, never have there ever been a time in my life where God is not, he, he is not using me to disciple someone one on one. And I say that to all the pastors, no matter how big you might think your ministry ought to be, always pour your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to use you to pour time into somebody else. Pour yourself into somebody else. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you're being rooted and grounded in love. You see what it is that work of love? Remember, all of this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us through this. Alright? If we are struggling, it's because we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to fill us. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. That is to understand fully our relationship with Christ, the love of Christ. That's what we are comprehending. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This is the fifth thing. That you may be, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now he says, now to him who is able, what a glorious statement. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We must never ever limit God with our own thoughts. So let God do his work. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. There may be those voices where the enemy will come and he will send fiery darts of fear. Don't be overcome by that fear. Satan is a roaring lion and he will continue to send that, the fear and doubt. We have to be aware of that. With the Holy Spirit, we ask God to help us. And many a time, saints, we are set free and we are liberated from the fear of the enemy as always, not many times, always, when we expose ourselves to the Word and we expose ourselves to the fellowship of the saints and we have others praying for us and loving us and encouraging us as we move forward. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Think of this for a moment. Beyond our highest prayer, beyond our highest desires, beyond our highest hopes, beyond anything that we can bring before God, God says, I'm able to do work beyond that. Because of the very fact that here is this fundamental theology. That once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. He comes in me. There is no doubt in my mind 
Even though when I left the United States, the saints were praying, we had an idea of what is happening. But as I have observed, especially in the last 25 years of going every year from nation to nation, I have observed this. Yes, we have a certain plan. God wants us to have an idea as to where we are going. Paul in his journey says, this is where I'm going to begin and this is where we will go. But then God moves supernaturally in that entire, in, in those journeys. And one thing God did with Paul is that he led him in different circumstances, like to be in prison so that we can have these books. Those particular books that are referred to as the prison epistles. So I left and I came to St. Martin's and the folks are praying. We said, here, here's the, the, the agenda, best we understand it. We'll come to this ministry and we'll minister for a week. We'll trust God. We'll see how the Holy Spirit will work. We'll meet next week with some pastors. I'm praying God led me and prepared some material for them. We have this material prepared. We said, thank you, God. This is the plan. But we also know that beyond that, God is at work. God says, beyond that, that is fine. That's the way the Spirit leads. God is doing something else. Because I did not know Sister Sandra. But she's exactly where God wants her to be. God all along working in her life. And the Holy Ghost place on her heart. This is exactly what I want you to do. And she says, she had a list of questions. But then God said to her, no, you just ask him to, to share what is on his heart. We had no idea of that when I left the United States. None whatsoever. Oh, when I got back, I was a bit tired, but I called my wife right away. Call her right away, honey. You know what happened? Praise God. I was able to share the gospel with the entire nation. Once again, I did not expect this to happen. We rejoice. Send it out to all the saints. And folks are sending me messages from Uganda and Kenya and Liberia and all over the world. They're sending and India and throughout the United States. They're sending me messages and they're saying, thank God, thank God for Sister Sandra. I mentioned her as I, in, in that, as I shared how God moved. See, far beyond we can think or imagine God is doing his work. According why? Why is this possible? Because it's not our power. It is God's power. He does give us power. But it comes from him. There is no humanistic self-aspect in this. Remember, it's the theology of grace, right? What's the theology of grace? We could not save ourselves. We have no power, nothing involved in that. And then, by grace, we continue to serve him. And then, by grace, we continue to experience the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us as God uses us to do his work. Are we seeing how it's all connecting? 
And then to Him be glory to the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And pay attention to the forever and ever, for all eternity. We'll continue to glorify Christ. How can we summarize this? Was this an ideal situation in reality that Paul existed in? No, there is nothing, there is nothing ideal about being in prison. Paul did not say, oh, I so long to be in prison. No, he had a plan. He had things laid out and the church and they were praying for him to get from one place to the other. I believe he was in the, at this time in the prison in, in Rome. There were three different incidents concerning his imprisonment. I believe at this time, this, this letter, he was in Rome. And in a church situation, and he will, he's addressing also, and he will address later on in the book of Ephesians, about disunity within the assembly. How can we summarize all of this? And about tribulation and pain and confusion as we live this Christian life. Should we make the ideal real? Should we have in our minds Okay, there is, there is an ideal situation and that has to become my reality in order for me to move forward. No, if we do that, we'll, we'll get stuck, won't we? Should we not teach about an ideal? Of course no, of course not. We have to keep talking about it. Paul certainly was not an idealist. But what he did know is that it will work out together for good. You face a hurricane last year. We say, oh dear God, the ideal situation is that since you said that you will protect us and you said that you are with us, Lord Jesus, there will never, there should have never been a hurricane ever of that magnitude. No. We cannot make the ideal real. In the human perspective. Are you following me here? Alright? We have these ideals in our minds. It's okay. But we cannot bring that into a reality. And then demand from God that that's the way it ought to be. Because we'll become discouraged. Because we'll be looking at it all the wrong way. And Paul himself says, Paul says, look, I am the least of the saints. He says, I'm the least of the saints. In other words, why, why, why should I not, not suffer? Why should I think that I am better than someone else? We should never be weary of Presenting an ideal. We should continue to do that. Pastors, we are called to do that. And it's difficult for us. We have to continue to say to the church. And we have to continue to believe. That God wants to bring every child of God. Under our pastorate to a place of maturity. We have to believe that. We have to trust that. As we move forward. But is it a reality? 
No, because saints, remember on Monday and, and last night we talked about the choice. God does not take away choice. And there would be saints who will say, okay, pastor, I'm on fire for the Lord. God saved last week. Thank God I'm coming first month, fine. Second month, fine. After that, twice a month. After that, once a month. After that, once every three months. Are you following what, what, what I'm saying? Does that mean as pastors that we stop praying for the person? No. But in reality, the ideal is not always real, is it? I want to illustrate this a little bit, speak about marriage. I know my dear wife is listening to me. She told me she would that she's listening. What is our view when we get married? When people get married, they don't get married and say, well, I hope that we face a lot of problems in our marriage. I hope that we break down in communication, I hope. No, they get married, say the person, young, they, they're both, let's say, 22, 23, they look at each other, they're still growing and they're still maturing. And they're saying, they look at each other, and, and the young man says, I love you, let's, let's get rid of the variables, let's talk about two Christians here, right? Getting married in God's church. And they come to Pastor Albert, Pastor Albert say, said, Pastor, can we get married next month? He said, no, six months from now, because I have to take you through premarital preparation. And he said, okay, Pastor, we'll be submissive. So we're getting rid of the variables, right? So we thank God. In his mind, he's presenting something to them. This is an ideal situation. The young man looks at the young lady, and of course he is thinking, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful. I, I am going to be here for you, no matter what, no matter what happens, because of what, you know, all that you mean to me, you fill my life and everything. And she looks at him and says, all the same. Everything you just said, that's exactly how I feel about you. Then they get married, and a few months down the road, come to Pastor Albert and says, what's going on? And then she has an idea, but he is not the way I thought he was, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to change him. And then after two years, she finds out, wait a minute, I can't change him. But I'll keep pressing on, because I have an ideal, and I want that ideal to be my real. Now listen. Pastor Albert and I, both of us, I'm sure, will try our best to communicate to that saint. You cannot change yourself, dear sister. How much less you will be able to change someone else. But I love him and he's my... That is true. There is no question about that. Are you following this? A young man, after a while, you know, he loves his wife, love everything, and then here comes the children, and then they get old, and then he looks at her, oh, she's changing. But still, he, he had an image of what was ideal, and now that is changing, and what is real is adjusting, isn't it? And then they go through life problems, and life burdens, and then illnesses, and different situations. Are you following this? 20, 30 years in a marriage, 
different situations are happening. Let's take the local church now. So you have a local church. Is there in scripture what God says concerning what should be ideal? Yes, certainly. And we have that goal and, and we press forward to it. And as pastors, we, we pray for leadership. And we set up structures to take the responsibility to safeguard what God has given us to make sure what is taught, that things of the world are not coming into the doctrine of Christ. We make sure those things. But does that mean that it cannot happen? It can happen. Remember in the early church, what happened? The gospel itself was distorted. It was being attacked. And Paul says, that if you preach any other gospel, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. Then he says, beware, beware of the dogs, beware of the mutilation, beware of those who are coming against. They have an appearance of what is good, but they the rally of evil right in the midst of everything. You had one church in Corinth where incest was taking place in the church. Let's take denominations. But you see, as pastors, we have our theology down right, you see. We don't get discouraged. God did not lead us to pastor perfect churches. Take denomination. You hear folks say, why isn't there one denomination of all the church around the world? Where did all this come from? Why? And then unbelievers sometimes will make that as an excuse. Not to believe in Jesus. Why should I believe in God whom, and then you, you have Pentecostal here, Baptist there, Nazarenes here, Methodist there, and what is all that about? When you get all that together then, our answer to them is simply, listen, I'm not telling you that you're going to get to heaven through, through a de denomination. I'm telling you you can get to heaven only through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm saying to you that the way to God is through Jesus. So, look at denominations. Look at your pastor. It will be great if we had that ideal, won't we? It will be great if there was one global church, denom just one, then we probably wouldn't call it denomination, no. Because there is no comparison, right? No need to do that. But that's not what it is. One day it will come like that. But not right now. So until then, your pastor, he is able to fellowship with other pastors, as I do, of different denominations. Are we following this? We're bringing all of this lesson together tonight. Bringing it together. Summarizing, which is so important for us to understand. So he can, if he can tell me that he, he has and, and he can develop and he's willing to go out and to minister and to befriend the pastors in the Baptist church, because I asked him about that, and he promised me, he says, we'll, we'll work on that. He says, I'll, I'll do that. And he's able to fellowship with different ones. When I first communicated with him, I asked him that. I said, tell me, 
after everything, you know, after the helps and everything, when things settled on a little bit. I said, are you willing in your life to work with the other groups and so forth? If he had said to me, no, if he says, this is it, I'm in my group here, don't want to have anything to do with anyone else, would I not be here? No, I'll still come, right? But in my prayer, my, my heart, oh dear God, thank you, please use me, Lord, in the process to help this fellow, this brother, fellow pastor to get to that place. But thank God, he is there already, right? He is not making that which is not a reality from the ideal. He's not making that an obstacle. All right? And in our lives, our reality, it may not be ideal for us. But we don't ever make it an obstacle. It's Paul being in prison. There might be folks who say, Paul, all of this that you said about your Christ, how come you're in prison? Are you following this? And he reminds the saints, he says, stop being, stop stressing about this. This is working out for your glory. It's okay. Are you following this? So let's get back to the first example here concerning marriage. Is there an ideal? There is our ideal and our real, but we have to focus on God's ideal. So what is God's ideal? That God has established that marriage. Got that? And since God established it, God says it will not be separated. And God uses that marriage to represent Christ's love for the church. That's God's ideal. And God's ideal is the only ideal that can become a reality. We following this? When it's our ideal and it doesn't work out real, that's why the assembly back then they were all burdened about this thing, Paul, you being in prison. But Paul is saying to them, listen, there is an ideal that is beyond us, and that's God's ideal. Are we following? We're, we're, are we understanding this? And we cannot take our ideal and impose it upon God. From God's ideal to Paul is this. Paul, you are my prisoner. Paul, I own you. Paul, I save you by my grace. Paul, whatever happened to you, I'm in control. Because whatever happened to you, I'm using you to make my mystery known. And in addition to that, through being in prison, we have one of the greatest epistles in the New Testament, Ephesians. See how God works it out? It's the same thing in marriage. God. And you say, well, why folks end up in, Christians end up in divorce? It started off well, in a proper way. That's because they move away from God's idea. You follow this? They moved away. God's ideal is no one is able to separate you. And you're representing Christ's love for the church. As long as a husband and wife, working through the issues and different whatever it is, but as long as they have the central focus, 
marriage to us. God brought us together. That's God's idea, right? And that's real. And we represent Christ's love for the church. And the Holy Spirit is keeping us there. So with all of the pain and all that we're going through, yes, that's real. But God, we're not going to wander away from, from his ideal for us. We follow this? Yes. Now let's take the local church. God has an ideal for the local church. God says, pray that I will raise up laborers for my harvest field. That prayer that Paul just prayed. That's what God is doing. This Pastor Albert and myself, is, is that our reality? No. We face daily, there are daily problems of, of disappointment and hurt and pain and different things. But we keep pressing on. You see, we keep pressing on. Because we are acknowledging this is what we want. But we have to focus on what God is doing. That is why the Bible says for us to live is Christ. Let's take the denominations. Ultimately, we know that the day will come when Christ returns. One day Jesus will take not his denomination, but his church to heaven. When Christ comes, when the rapture takes place, it will not be for a denomination. It will be for his church. So what is God's ideal? And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, here is God's ideal. That we all share in this. We are all the Gentiles, our fellow heirs of the body of Christ. They're all partaking of this. Is this confusing to you Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians? Yes. And you're uncomfortable with all of this. And there are different dynamics that are happening. And problems. And do you think sometimes some of them thought that favoritism was going on? The widows thought that because they were of the, the Hellenist Jews, that they were not treated fairly in the distribution of food. You will have different problems and difficulties. But we look beyond that because there is a church that exists beyond all of those things. And what church is that? All who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's ideal that will become a reality. And it is the reality that Christ will take his church to heaven. Are we following? Yes. If we don't get this done right, all of the assets, the enemy can create havoc in our minds. I want you to think it through and pray it through beyond tonight. All right? Think it through and pray it through. You must always seek to understand God's, God's word, God's truth, what God is doing. But we also have to be aware. Paul says, the things, the things I ought to do, I do not things I ought not to do, I find myself doing, what is the conclusion? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this? That's his prayer, right? What is a God-given conclusion? Thanks be to God. 
you have you have a marriage a Christian marriage that is struggling take your eyes off the self aspect of what we are demanding or asking and come before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us to take a shift in our understanding as to what God is doing right and let the Holy Spirit do his work Pastors, those who are pastors in the you know midst here tonight, take your eyes off all of the different issues that can wear us down and appreciate that who is building his church? Crisis. Does that mean that we don't have to address things? Certainly we have to. Have to be responsible. But in that responsibility, we have to appreciate there has to be a shift in our thinking. From what we want to what God says, and there lies our victory always. The truth always sets us free. For those who are listening, we thank God. Thank God that He led you to listen to us. The truth is that God loves you. And you might be caught up in whatever religion that you're in, God loves you. But there is a fundamental truth, and that is that God loves the world, and you're in this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. We want to pray with you tonight. We want to trust God that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may not understand all of it, but perhaps the Holy Spirit is touching your heart at this very moment. God is saying to you, come to me. Just by faith, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. We want to pray with you. We're going to ask you to pray. And it's not just that the words that you say, it's that you believe in your heart what you say. God himself said that when we confess with our mouths, we have to believe in our hearts. And you essentially will be confessing that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is your savior. So wherever you are today, and you're listening to my voice, I encourage you to pray, but truly believe. Saints, let's pray and encourage those who are receiving Christ tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Lord Jesus, by faith, I accept the salvation that you provided for me. Lord Jesus, I accept your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Lord Jesus, thank you. I confess you are the Christ. I confess you are my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, I pray believing. Amen.